Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is Jamie. And this is Heather. And welcome to Using Our Inside Voice, a twice-monthly podcast where we awaken to the extraordinary meaning of everyday mundane life by passing it through a particle collider of different and differing perspectives. Today, we're using our inside voice to talk about the 80s, a decade meant to catalyze the awakening of that generation and beyond. Woohoo! <laughs> I love the 80s. I so, love the 80s. I, I always have I, that little thing stuck in my head. Thank you, from, MTV and, oh. and, <laughs> and Video One and like all of those other like pop up videos and. The I Love the 80s show on like Netflix or whatever that was. I, I can't even remember now, but <laughs> it's constantly in my head. Constantly? How do you live? Well, it's constantly, okay. It's constantly in my head every time the 80s is mentioned. Mm, I have mm -hmm. that little thing pop up in the back of my head. The trigger is installed. The trigger is very firmly installed, yes. <laughs> so what brought this up? What brought up the 80s? Yeah. Um, let's see. When was this now? About three weeks ago or so? Um, right now, it seems to be a, a lot of things are coming through as I'm doing classwork for school. So uh, this in particular came through, I think, as I was prepping for a test. So, um, yeah, I just I happen to have... 80s music on in the background and I got like two songs in and all of a sudden you know the fun little here you go we're going to dump all of these things on your lap and then have fun sorting that all out as you're trying to do other things so they really seem to like hitting you when you are in study mode there must be some sort of meditative property to your your approach I think I think so. I think so. I'm I've kind of always been that way. So, yeah. Anything that takes me out of my um my everyday thinking brain. So, driving, uh doing like prep work for tests, especially if it's if there's music involved because I'm not I'm I'm focused, but I'm not um I'm not hyper-focused. I'm allowing, I'm doing more allowing than I am, uh, you know, being hyper-vigilantly focused. Mm -hmm. Primal brain so keeping you safe, surviving in this wild world, this jungle that we live in. Right, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And you never know what's going to, like, you know, start it off. So it was, I'm trying to think back to, what the actual songs were that triggered i think the first one one of the first ones was um don't you forget about me mm -hmm, sure sure and and i had like an immediate like stop and my heart swelled and then like a total downpour of of tears i was like oh my goodness that was such a song from my higher self to me <laughs> I'm like, damn, 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 damn. So your higher so, self was saying, "Don't you forget about me?" <laughs> totally. Like it, it was. It was one of those things. Where it was so stupid because I'm sitting there and I'm like, 
they're like listen to the words and they're all like melodramatic about it in my head and then I get to start I start getting ulterior and I'm like why am I getting ulterior this is like you know this breakfast club (laughs) you know (laughs) and no totally I'm like oh my god bender is my higher self no oh my god you had a becca you had a becca moment i had a becca moment (laughs) (laughs) oh man so yeah so that was good so i sat there and had a nice cry for a few minutes and then like it was like oh man wait a second there's more and like every song that came on i was like oh this totally relates to something that I was going through at the time that was totally pointing me in the direction of something very spiritual that I was unaware of at the moment. And I'm totally aware of right now. Oh my God. <laughs> Did it tie into a specific memory? Like, did yeah, they show you a specific coming up? So it was, was it um, like a specific visual from that time? So, I mean, there were so many. It it started off with things like, um, like just remembering stuff from early childhood of of feeling feeling you know very different from everyone else. I was an only child until I was ten years old. So, and my parents both worked. They both worked opposite shifts. My grandma was taking care of me most of the time during the day up until I was like, um, I think it was eight or nine when they moved uh, back east. But yeah, there was just a lot of um, all these little moments of me trying to figure life out in those earlier moments trying to make sense of all of the things that I was experiencing around me because I was also um very aware early on of uh spirit and could communicate and could see it and it was a, you know of course at first it was not a thing that I realized was unusual until I started talking about it and my family was like hey whoa you can't talk about anything like that like that's crazy talk so you know trying to make sense of um you know what I was seeing what I was feeling I noticed that I was having connections with like like my interactions with people in general were very interesting. I was very shy, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, like if I made that kind of that solid connection with you, like I felt like I could trust you or, you know, had that, that kind of heart open opening moment, like towards other kids or, or other people, like I'd like lock on to those people and I'd have, you know, all of these very deep, interesting, like, thoughts and feelings. And I I was always, like, very, if I cared for someone, it was like I cared for them so deeply. And I felt like I cried at everything when I was younger. I felt mm-hmm. like it was totally easy to, like, <laughs> press my button. I could mm-hmm. remember um, all of the, you know, kind of odd little 
things that I would do to keep myself busy or entertained as an only child, like, um, you know, taking the lawn chairs from, from the pool area and dragging them out into the yard and turning them over on their side and, and pressing on all of the little, you know, plastic lattice pieces of the seats, like they were, you know, buttons inside a spaceship and thinking about, you know, going to, this was like before I'd watched sci-fi. I haven't, I hadn't watched sci-fi movies or anything like that. It was just, it was just what was in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I even played stuff out in like, even my play with like Barbie dolls. Like there were all, <laughs> there's always these like, you know, I think for a, a, a five or six year old, a very existential like thing happening in the relationship between like Barbie and Ken and Skipper and like whatever, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm sure other kids would have been like, what game are you playing? It's like, oh, today we're exploring. And like, they would have had no idea. Um, so, yeah, I, I had, I feel like I had a, a very interesting and yet very kind of of the times type of childhood mm-hmm. growing up in the early 80s. So... <laughs> You know, this this sort of thing, I think it, it just hit me all at once. It's like, wow, well, I'm sure that every um, every generation has th- these certain keys that are the the unlock codes for that particular generation to start waking up. And I could definitely tell that there was something really big about the music and the culture surrounding music in the 80s. And I think we all felt that to a certain extent. Like, I, I even now, <clears throat> as I'm thinking back to, like, what that experience was like, um, there's, there's just this thing about so many types of cultures and genres overlapping Mm -hmm. all at the same time like if I think about like what was considered pop music like what we would have heard on the top 40s on on a weekend a typical weekend in like you know 1987 there was such a huge mix of like you know people from all over the place and different styles and like nobody had like it didn't feel like anybody had any qualms about it or like you know wasn't making a big deal about the fact that you know oh there were qualms there were I'm big sure there were qualms, qualms. <laughs> I just I didn't but I like it didn't affect me like no I didn't realize that like it didn't influence whatever was happening externally with any other groups mm-hmm. it didn't affect me and how I perceived what I was being shown. Like, I felt it was perfectly acceptable. Like, if this guy wanted to have, you know, blue hair and eyeshadow and, like, all right, that's cool, you know. And then, mm. you know, this guy's wearing a, like, a Letterman jacket. And <clears throat> this person is from, you know, this country and has this background. And this person is from this country and has this background. And, it just didn't seem weird to have to me at the time to have all of these different 
people meeting in the same place or you know it's like I think of like the power of the mixtape you know (laughs) which was truly that it was it was always this huge mix Mm -hmm. and um I've noticed that like since then my experience has been especially if I'm going you know like just regular radio it's like you know five or six songs in and I'm going did I just listen to the same person like was that like five or six songs in a row by the same person because I didn't hear a difference (laughs) and I don't know if that's just because I you know like that's not what's supposed to trigger me right now so it just doesn't right but you know that's that's what comes up in my head um you know as I'm kind of reflecting on it but yeah, it, it felt very, it felt like that time period was very explorative. I don't know what it felt like for you. Like, what was your experience? Um, I remember a very limited exposure to popular music um, until I was in about, oh, gosh, maybe third grade is when I, was it third or fourth? Whenever, whenever Cyndi Lauper came out, you know, that maybe, I don't know. 84 or something that's when little me was a little bit more free to um explore music because you Mm -hmm. know i have i didn't have a lot of access through television um no it had to have been michael jackson i'm trying to recall my childhood room and that was the only musician that was up on the wall i i was head over heels for michael jackson as as most of the nation and and most of the world was and why not be he was amazing mm-hmm. um and uh, i had this this schizophrenic collection of records um that were it was divided between um the nursery rhyme records that your parents get you because your mm-hmm. parents are musical and artistic and they want you to have music in your life so you're they're doing john jacob jingleheimer schmidt with you <laughs> <laughs> And I had a few records that I had begged for or demanded, whatever the case was. I don't remember how I got them. I think I probably got them for Christmas one year that my best friend Davina had at the time. And of course, if Davina had it, it was cool. So I had to have it. Um, I didn't really come into my own identity until third grade. Third grade is when when the, the beast was unleashed and... Um, I started realizing and truly believing that there was absolutely nothing wrong with who I was. In fact, I was amazing and everyone was going to know it. Uh, that's when the world started to come into focus for me. And I guess my first albums were Billy Joel and Olivia Newton-John as a, as a kid. Man, the friggin' dolphin song. Don't get me started. I can't listen to it now. I'm like, oh, good Lord, schmaltz. But when I was little, that dolphin song spoke to my friggin' soul, you know, and looking back on it as I was, I knew this episode um, or this show was coming up and, and I wanted to do a little bit of, you know, getting in touch with my, my childhood self and a little bit of research. And I was looking at some different Olivia Newton-John performances and I was like, well, why wouldn't she speak to your soul? She's basically kin. Look at her. She's completely Pleiades. <laughs> <laughs> completely everything the Pleiades freaking Xanadu man <laughs> she is she's absolutely Xanadu she's Sandy from Greece you know who wouldn't want to be her um 
but you know, her voice just felt, she just felt like she was singing to you, you know, and there was something special about it. And of course, being exposed to musical theater, because both my parents were singers, dancers, actors, my mom was a makeup artist. Um, I grew up around the entertainment industry. I grew up uh, a stone's throw away from Hollywood. You know, it all felt very normal to me. Um, however, around, I guess, when Culture Club was coming in, that's when things started to, I noticed a shift in style. The new romantics had been underway in London for, well, you know, spawned by Bowie unintentionally. Bowie mm -hmm. had no, <laughs> no, uh, intention of starting that movement. It just, you know, they were all inspired. He was kind of the first one to, to really, um, embrace and flirt with androgyny and, and, uh, it was a post-punk movement. You know, they were coming out of rebellion for rebellion's sake and moving into a much more romantic aesthetic. And I started seeing, you know, bits and pieces of that aesthetic as a child. And I was just like, wow, I can't wait to be an adult. Not realizing, of course, that these people weren't actually adult adults. They were they were something different, which is exactly what they were supposed to be. And it felt special. Boy George felt special. He was beautiful to look at. He was clearly gay before little kids knew what it was to be gay. You know what I mean? The concept mm -hmm. was not in really openly discussed a whole lot, even though it exists in my family, which is an odd way to say it. I just didn't know how um, private... <laughs> <laughs> to keep things there. Um, <laughs> but I was, I was familiar with gay, the concept. I just, it was not, it never occurred to me that it was something that needed to be um, discussed or analyzed in any way. I, I didn't have a problem with it. It didn't matter to me. I, you know, whatever, let your freak flag fly, you know, but boy, George, he was a w walking piece of art, Very you true. know, he was just art. And, and it's not like I, I owned, <laughs> I wanted, of course, the, the very popular album um, with Karma Chameleon and all those songs on it. But my mom ended up looking around Christmas time for the tapes that I had put down on my, my very, curated Christmas list. I need music. <laughs> I need this music. And, um, and she ended up getting the album after that. And I was disappointed, but also once I got to know that new album, which was less popular than the yeah. album prior to it, um, it was beautiful too. And they were talking about things that seemed so poignant to my little kid brain. You know, there's a song called the war song, and well, it's not like people haven't sung about war before, but I don't know. There was something about the way that he was singing it that I was just like, yeah, I agree. War is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the way he's, now we're fighting in our hearts. We're fighting in the streets. Won't somebody help me? And um, I just connected to it in a way that it spoke to my soul and turns out all these years later we're getting downloads about how it was it was meant to speak to your soul, especially when it comes to entertainment. Entertainment is meant to speak to your soul. It's meant to be not only of the moment, but um, a lot of it is 
inspired to be timeless. The messages are timeless. Yeah. The presentation is timeless. Star Wars is timeless, you know, and yeah. it, it taught the whole generation. It opened the whole generation's eyes in, in one viewing to spirituality, to people that weren't Definitely. previously open to that kind of thinking or thinking of that kind of thing in that way. And it made it super special. And, you know, then enter Disney teaming up with Michael Jackson to do Captain EO and the reason I bring it up is because eh, about three or four years ago, I had my 80s realization download from the guides, another one of those that made me have to walk around the neighborhood because there was so much energy coming in. I didn't know what to do with it. And they were talking about Captain EO. I hadn't thought about Captain EO in forever. Like, you know, it's not right. like you have it on DVD for nostalgia's sake. I mean, maybe some people do. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't even think about it. Once it was out of the park, it was kind of like, oh, remember Captain EO? Every once in a blue moon. If you happen to be thinking about Disney or Disneyland, you might stumble upon it in, in your mind. But this was, they were talking about, it's around the time that they were introducing me to a concept that ended up being called Black Root Energy, which was the initial attempt to get me to understand how the reality that we exist in is a weave. And they were showing me how what people refer to as, quote, evil <laughs> entered our reality. And they showed me a visual of a tapestry that is woven of many different threads, all different thicknesses. And, you know, some were thin and some were thick and some were like slubby yarn and some were smooth and shiny and some looked metallic and they showed me this long tapestry in this long gallery and at one end at the beginning end there was this corruption that was weaving itself through the threads intertwining with the threads so that it couldn't be easily removed without damaging the tapestry's existence without damaging what had been woven and this this energy moved through the tapestry and was, you know, closing in on the current, always closing in on whatever the current timeline was. And they were, they referenced Captain EO. And I was like, Captain EO, what? What are you talking about? You know? And they were like, that, that's one of the ways in which the 80s spoke it was the 80s was all about awakening people to this energy. And and so I had to go look it up on YouTube and it, it is available to watch and it is cringy, especially you would think that the um, the lack of 3D glasses would make it cringy. So you're watching everything in double. <laughs> it's It's not easy to watch, but actually, as much as I love Michael Jackson, his performance was cringy. I'm warning you, if you want to go watch this again. Have lots of love and compassion for Michael because between his very high voice and his very, very, very sweet spirit, and I believe one of the characters' names was Pooter, which did not help because he kept on saying Pooter. And I was like, I, please stop it. I can't. Pooter. It's Hooter. <laughs> Is it Hooter? It was awful. It's Hooter. It needed to never it's, happen. I mean, that doesn't make it any better. It really no, doesn't. No, and and <laughs> it just it was cringy. But if you look at who was involved in this, 
it, it is a tour de force of the leaders of the industry back then. Not only Michael Jackson, but absolutely. Um, uh, Angelica Houston was the big baddie who, by the way, I remember little me sitting in the theater watching it going, she's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. She's like a spider lady with like a mech spider lady hanging from the ceiling. And I was like, yes, I will have more of that. Thank you. I will have her in every movie. And at the end, what does he do? The big reveal? He like rips open his shirt and underneath there's this rainbow. And the mm -hmm. rainbow comes to life with light that shines out of his heart from his chest <laughs> and transmutes all of the black root energy. Right. And I'm like. And turns her into this beautiful. Beautiful. Goddess once again. Yes. Restores life to the galaxy and. And I was like, are you kidding? How did I not remember that? Like, I remembered the rainbow. But as a kid, I remember thinking, this is so cheesy, but I love it. It's fine. You know, I, I excused it. I made excuses for it because it was really, <laughs> it was something. But looking back on it, knowing what I know now or what I've been given now, um, it makes so much freaking sense. Well, I mean, let's let's because I because I brought it up. So so let's just take a look at a little bit of the lyrics again. It's like it's one of those things where like once once you see it or once you hear it, you like it cannot be unseen or unheard. You know, so first of all, one of the, you know, banner songs, Another Part of Me. Oh, yeah. Which right? is, you know, hello, mirrored energy. Um we're we're taking over we have the truth this is the mission to see it through don't point your finger not dangerous this is our planet you're one of us <laughs> we're sending out a major love and this is our message to you the planets are lining up we're bringing brighter days they're all in line waiting for you can't you see you're just another part of me right i mean what okay. <laughs> I, I mean i hate to admit not it but hide nothing that made me tear up. I, right? I hate to admit I mean, it because dude. that made me tear up. And I dude. remember the feeling I had walking out or actually dancing and skipping out of that theater. You were so high after oh, yeah. that experience. And it was the song. I mean, it was the whole thing. You know, Francis Ford Coppola directed that thing. I know. Francis I mean, Ford Coppola. Like everybody and their mother was a part of that project. Yeah. And and it was it was nuts. Like I remember, I remember I was in the fifth grade when it came out, I believe, because I remember actually going, I went with my friend Lisa from school, like the, I believe it was the end of the first week that it came out. And there were like a gazillion people all trying to go and see it. And so you had to wait in line forever and ever down in the little hole of the Magic Eye Theater and grab your little 3D glasses. But oh my goodness. Yeah, of course. You come out and you're skipping and you're singing and you want the t-shirt with the pretty rainbow on it that kind of looks like Pink Floyd. And, you know, it's like there's there's all of this stuff happening and it was funny because I remember when all this happened a couple of years ago. And when I kind of dove into it. 
when when you had this realization because we had a conversation about it back then too right and I remember diving into it again and it was very interesting because um around this time was also a time when a lot of artists that I would consider to be more um just heavier into the music incredibly zeroed in on the craft you know their their music was just very different there was something about it you may not have been able to put your finger on it all the time and it wasn't just about their singing and it wasn't just about the dancing or the theatricalness of their videos or or things like that there was there was literally something else about it that would draw you in and I started realizing as I was doing research that there were a lot of people at that time that didn't say anything about it but we're starting to bring frequency, different frequencies into their music. They were they were recording things in such a way where it was just different from other music because they were they were tuning things to like 432. They were tuning things to 528 instead of the regular 440 that everybody else was keeping. And this is one of the reasons why those things stick with you because literally inside you you're you're resonating on a completely different level your body is going yes we want more (laughs) of that we want to hear that like Mm -hmm. let's play that again and and i remember my mom being like how many times are we going to listen to this one song or this one tape (laughs) you know it's like oh my god you know pick something else kid (laughs) it's like no (laughs) if if I had something it was like I would listen to it over and over and over and over and over and I know that like she just wanted to bang her head against the steering wheel in the car and go oh (laughs) please anything but this I just don't want to listen to this again my mom was pretty good at letting me have free reign over what we listened to she I think she really got a kick out of how musically inspired I was. I, all I wanted to do was sing all day, every day. Nothing else mattered except for singing. And she let me listen to things over. I mean, I remember her coming in my room at like nine at night. Heather, it is nine o'clock at night. It is time to stop this now. We have neighbors. The neighbors would like to sleep. And I'd look at her like, I don't want to. Okay, fine. You know, (laughs) realizing that I was very lucky to have the kind of freedom that I did as a kid. I had a great childhood. My parents worked very hard to give me creative freedom over my life, being creative themselves. So yeah, but I definitely would listen to a song over and over and over again. Most of the time it was because I wanted to know it by heart so I could sing with it, but same here. definitely listen to it over and over again. Yeah. And I'm sure that I probably did the same thing with my teachers. I'm, I'm, I'm sure in elementary school, I probably drove a bunch of my teachers nuts, either, you know, like humming in class or <laughs> you know before class or after okay class i wasn't or... that bad although there was an eighth grade field trip that involved headphones and i'm sorry to say to all my classmates belinda carlisle over and over and over and over <laughs> and over <laughs> and over and it was just me singing it not not the actual music with it so they didn't even get the full song experience they just got me singing probably off key because i had my headphones on and couldn't hear they literally they, it was the most gentle please stop 
I've ever received in my life. I <laughs> I felt momentarily embarrassed when I realized that everyone on the bus was subject to me. Um, and I can't say that I actually stopped. Uh, I don't think I was capable. But, you know, to them, I greatly apologize and hope it's just a funny chuckle at this point <laughs> or even not a memory at all. I mean, maybe it's just me. I don't know. Yeah, I had. I, I remember having um, with my neighbors, which I had a family that lived around the corner and there were two older sisters and one younger sister who is my age. And we all fell in love with the Go-Go's at the same time. And of course, I mean, the older who sisters, who wouldn't? I mean, Just right. And, and the older sisters were at such an age where, you know, they, they actually had like, you know, chore money and things like that and could go out to the mall and buy their own things. So one of them bought the first big Go-Go's album. And I remember all of us getting together in their living room and wrapping ourselves in the towels from the linen closet and getting hair dryers and spoons and whatever we <laughs> else we could get our, our hands on and very a la the front cover mm-hmm. you know in 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 towels and you know they they <laughs> left the, all the fixtures they left the tags on those towels so they could return them after that's that's the the budget that was required <laughs> to put this record together um they're fond of saying that but i think the thing that is really important to bring up here is that you know yeah we're musicians using new frequencies that you know uh, were they tapping into new frequencies that hadn't been heard before were they were they manipulating frequencies to you know convey codes to our little kid heads um not intentionally not consciously but it was part of the the greater code you know it's it's how do you describe it? It's like uh, it's that next level that we don't tap into until we start looking at it consciously. They were just playing. They were like, how can we make music sound new? What's the next thing? Let's get a synthesizer. What do those mm-hmm. do? What can we do with it? You know, or like uh, uh, Nick Rhodes from Duran Duran, you know, that opening sound in, is it Rio? I think it's Rio is such an unusual sound and when you first heard it you were blown away and the way they came up with that is you know he ended up dropping some pipes on piano strings and running it backwards and they used it as that crazy isn't it nuts like how do you that's like when i'm using soap and you know that that it's it's lye run through ashes and you're like how did you how how did that come about for you because i would have never in a million years thought to a drop pipes on piano strings and B play it backwards. And just as likely I would have never thought to pass lie through ashes to get soap. like would have never occurred to me. I just would have been dirty my entire lives. (laughs) And it was just really interesting to me that like, especially now it's like looking back on it, the, the thing that's the craziest to me is there's so much stuff just in plain sight like they were not hiding it they're not hiding it in the lyrics they're not hiding it and they're not hiding it they were celebrating it they're they're not hiding anything no they were celebrating it absolutely celebrating it and and it's it's very interesting because if i look at now like anything that i'm like i don't think twice about i'm just like automatically in it's like yes this is awesome Mm mm-hmm 
And usually there is some sort of connection that I am very aware of in the beginning now at this stage in my life that, oh, this is connected to something. This is a message. This is a code. This is a this is a something like mm-hmm. as soon as I'm done, you know, enjoying the shit out of this, I'm going to like roll it back and try to see if I can figure out what the, the overarching me- message is. But mm-hmm. at the time, you know, when when we were kids and we were listening to this great music and and looking at all this interesting fashion and art it's like there was no point where it was like huh is that is that a thing that i should like investigate for no it was uh, all all in it's like nobody had to convince us of anything it was just yeah i'm here for that i'm well, totally yeah. here for that of course because we were kids and everything was play mhm you know, we hadn't been indoctrinated but, into the system of adulthood yet, which, you know, kills your kills your flow. <laughs> it kills your desire. It kills your inspiration. It, it kills your imagination. We hadn't been killed yet. Although for me, I will say in some ways that had that process had already started, but music was the one place where I could escape to. So I was very much the same way as far as like wanting to sing and all of that, but I was petrified of actually doing it. Mm-hmm. So this was like, you know, my guilty pleasure was, you know, sequestering myself in my room an entire afternoon on a weekend and listening to the radio and watching MTV because we just happened to have cable at the time when it was available and my parents didn't know what it was yet so they didn't know (laughs) like oh maybe that's something that we should censor they also didn't know to censor movies like poltergeist so you know I don't I, had... I don't think that that's a knowledge any parent needs to have. I remember watching Poltergeist and being I didn't see it in the theater because it didn't you know it would have never occurred to my mom to take me to something like that. I was a pretty much a prude when I was little. If it yeah. if it was made for little kids, I wanted to see it, but if it wasn't, I had no interest in it because I kind of overall thought that adults were gross. And liked gross things and you know arguably wasn't wrong but so it wasn't something i'd see in theaters but as soon as it came out on tv i was there for it and it was it was terrifying but it didn't terrify me if that makes sense it was i mean it gave me all the way into my ghost hunting years and beyond i still have a, a fear of stacking like no oh, no yeah. entity no entity is going to be in my space and stack things. You are not going to organize things. You are not going to stack things. My brother laughs at me all the time when we're watching paranormal shows because as soon as something is like, you know, if it's moved across the floor, I'm like, oh, cool. If it is moved across the floor and lifted to put be put on something else, oh, hell no. No, 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 no. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm out the door. I'm not sticking around for that. Other than that, though, it something in my little kid head knew that it was Hollywood drama, you know. However, sure. the concept of a poltergeist, wow. Now that was intriguing. A ghost that has enough power to move things. Now, of course, later the the paranormal definition of poltergeist is expanded to mean from a living agent. Uh, 
And I, I'm still not sure when that happened because originally poltergeist, you know, if you look at the literal interpretation, it's just noisy ghost, uh, which is quite different <laughs> than, hey, you're a medium and don't know it. You're repressing all of your emotions and they're coming out in your physical environment as haunting activity. That's terrifying, you know, to think that someone can affect their environment in such a way. But, but it just gave me more fuel for my paranormal fire, which was lit from when I, I entered the earth with that lit. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I entered the earth with it lit, but it was lit in a very different way. So when I watched Poltergeist, all I saw was Carol Ann is kind of like me. Am I going to get sucked through the TV? <laughs> <laughs> Like I see dead people. <laughs> and oh, I can talk shit. To dead people. oh gosh. Like, you know, like I, I remember for a while, like I didn't want to eat meat. <laughs> like Well, I don't think a lot of people did after that. I mean I definitely didn't want clowns anywhere around me. And when I was like four, I think I think I was about four. I got a, it was a Ronald McDonald doll that was about my same size for my ew. birthday. Ew. Ew. And, Who would do that? I, <laughs> why? I think because, you know, when I was younger and there were the, like the playgrounds and the commercials were all with the little, you know, with, with the whole <gasps> gang and stuff. Like I enjoyed that then, but as soon as that movie came out and I saw the clown in the corner and then <laughs> I go back to my room and there was that clown in the corner, pretty much the same way sitting on a chair in the corner of my room. I was like, no. um, you're out of here, Ronald. I don't think I want that doll anymore. <laughs> like, can we put that somewhere else? Can we put that somewhere else? Just not under the Let's bed. Let's put that in a different... Yeah, I'm going to leave that one in the living room. And my husband's like, why does this keep ending up out here? And it's like, it's, I don't want it in my bedroom. <laughs> I don't want it in that corner. No, no, thank you. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so, I, you know, there was... there. <laughs> There was a lot to unpack during that time, but it yeah. was, gosh, man, as I'm looking back at it now, I'm like, wow, in some ways, I'm like, I'm surprised that I'm not more screwed up than, <laughs> well, you know, that I ended, that I didn't end up more screwed up than, than I did. And then there's other times where it's like, thank goodness I had that because I probably would have been so screwed up if I hadn't had that exactly. in my life. That's as an my take outlet. On yeah, that's my take on it. Totally. Like it felt almost like, um, well, a warning as, as ominous as that sounds, it felt like, you know, keep your eyes open because what we're doing is we're showing you an exaggerated version of phenomena that actually exists. This is, this is possible, you know, and it's not and something you're going I, to encounter it. So get ready. <laughs> you are, you're going to encounter it and you you need to be, you're already open to it. Otherwise, this wouldn't be resonating in this way. This just, and my my little kid brain processed it this way. You're already open to this. Otherwise, you wouldn't be exposed to it in this way. And all of these things that you are taking in are informing you to an extent that you'll need later. And they're setting your filters and your lenses through which you experience this world in such a way as to keep you sensitive and appreciative of these things. Because 
and I knew that because I liked it so much. I liked the subject matter so much. I, I mean, I was watching, if we're talking about TV wise, I was, my favorite shows as a kid uh, outside of children's shows, but like when it came to primetime TV and, and I got to sit with my parents and watch TV, I was happy when it was in search of with Leonard Nimoy. I mean, I was way too little to really, I mean, I look back on it and I'm like, how did I process? That's incredible. How did I process in search of with Leonard Nimoy? How did I process um, Peter James? How did I do that? Because I was so little when I was taking it in. But it made, it all made perfect sense to me. Like this is, I used to have long talks about, um, past lives with my dad. Um, my parents were both into yoga and and studied yogis. So there was a lot of talk in my household. Well, not in-depth talk. It There was just, you know, that late 70s, early 80s enlightened parent talk <laughs> about yoga and what yogis are and and, you know, karma and um, reincarnation. It's not like it was preached like a religion. It was just interesting topics that both my parents were interested in too, and they didn't see any harm in in allowing me to partake of it. And really, they couldn't have stopped me because I was curious about psychic phenomenon and ghosts since for as long as I can remember. I don't remember a time when that wasn't a part of my landscape. So yeah, there was no such talk in my house. (laughs) (laughs) There was no such talk in my house. Uh Uh-uh. But I got to watch things like you know, again, like that's incredible. Oh my mm-hmm. God. Oh yeah. All the time. All the yeah, time, yeah, every yeah. week. Heck yeah, I was totally down for that. But also things that were, you know, more you know, just out of the norm, like like um like Wonder Woman and mm-hmm. the Bionic Woman and the Six Million Dollar Man and you know, and those things were a little more, you know, fun and and out there, but out there in in a not so serious way. But of course, I'm watching it like this could happen. This could be a thing like, you know, and then coming to learn that that I was actually named after the bionic woman. That was kind of a cool <laughs> thing. I was like, oh, oh, is that where you got that? Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> you reminded me that I uh, I think probably, I would have to stay, say it probably started when I saw Star Wars. Um, I was waiting for my powers to come in from that moment. Right? Oh, my goodness. And bewitched. Oh, bewitched. yeah. I oh, went bewitched. around the house. I went around the house trying to make my nose do the little loop. Mm-hmm. Like every damn day, every damn day. It was like, mm-hmm. am I doing it? Am I doing it? I would go out to people like, am I doing it? And they're like, doing what? <laughs> is my is my nose twitching like Samantha? No. Mm-hmm. Damn. <laughs> to this day, to this day, when that show went to Salem and dealt with the witches, I that was my <gasps> right? like, are you joking? Like the real modern witches, well, modern, quote unquote, before our time, technically, but thank God for reruns, because what a gem my life would have missed had it not been for syndication. Um, right. But yeah, like when the modern witches went back to meet the Salem witches, I was like, are, are you joking? Yes. This this right here. Just make this a series. The whole thing, you know, combining history right. and, and spirituality. <laughs> I mean, do you remember um, do you remember Mrs. Switch? Vaguely. 
Mm, I thought the art it was, was when poor. we were slightly older, but I thought, I thought the art was poor, so I kind of didn't give it a chance. I was like, meh. Well, it was one of those other things. Like I, I always felt like, well, first of all, because my my parents, it's not that my parents were overly religious themselves, but they came from very religious backgrounds that had mm-hmm. very definite um, <clears throat> viewpoints on things that were supernatural otherworldly yeah um you know they were it was a very conservative family we'll just leave it at that it's a very conservative family and still is for the most part um but you know i knew that certain things were just not going to like go over well so i always felt like as much as i was a you know, quote unquote, rule follower, and I did a lot of self-policing, there was also those moments where I was acutely aware of, look, they're not going to see this as, you know, like contraband. So like you can, you can slide this one under the radar, go ahead. And that was definitely one of those shows that was like, you know, you can slip this under the radar. They're not going to know that it's (laughs) about like witches and stuff like that. And so, you know, that was like, I really did look for for things where it was like, okay, like, you can watch this. And I remember watching things like that. And even though it was like, you know, like a Saturday morning kid show, like, I felt like I was always there with like a pen and paper, like taking notes. <laughs> like, oh, this, like I, I wasn't physically actually doing that. But in my head, like, I kind of studied these things because it it just it felt like this is a world that you're meant to be a part of whatever Mm -hmm. it is that they are saying whatever message they are bringing whatever thing that they are showing you are a part of this you're connected to it somehow so pay attention because you know nobody else you know is going to help you through this Mm -hmm. you're on your own Mm -hmm is is really how i felt for, for you know for my entire young adult life it very much felt like you're on your own kid you're the only one like you and your family nobody else is talking about this stuff it's it's not like you can run off to the neighbor's house and and go talk you know to other kids about this you're on your own and so you're gonna have to you know figure this shit out so and that's a really young age that's a really young age to live with a dirty secret yeah totally you know you know so if it be it the dark crystal or labyrinth or Mm -hmm. the black cauldron or um god how many other shows were there there's the the child glass which is a fantastic i knew you were gonna bring that up so (laughs) many people don't know about yeah and it's awesome and we both love it and the amazing thing is that actually disney back in the 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 turn of the decade between the late 70s and early 80s put out a ton of kids content for television slipped a lot of them in there they really did there were aliens like Full, full force aliens there were the, I think the hallmark of that era of movie is kids going on these adventures minus adults mm-hmm. and they were in very real danger they were running from very real you know ish bad guys like in, in Child of Glass it was a, a drunk caretaker who was had no qualms about you know if the kid got killed the kid got killed 
And that kid had to watch out for himself and solve the mystery. It just felt like it was a time where autonomy for children was sort of normalized. And then something happened. And, you know, I guess parents or adults thought the world we were living in had just gotten too dangerous for such messages to come through. I'm not sure what happened because I was sort of removed from the, the scape as it were, by that time. But I went back during the pandemic and I purposely looked up like uh, after school specials and um, Mm -hmm. um, made for TV movies with kids. And I found some doozies that were like kids accidentally stumbling onto a friggin' theft ring and, (laughs) and busting the whole thing wide open and having to run from the bad guys and helping the cops foil them. The other night, I I noticed a movie called Gleaming the Cube was on, gosh, I think it's on Prime right now. I was never, never big. I didn't give a shit about skateboarding when I was little. And and it was kind of, I think it was maybe a little bit more mature than I was. And so I was never really interested in it. But I went back and watched it. That movie had no right being as enjoyable as it was. And once again, it's about a young kid who, you know, he and his trusty skateboard break open a a friggin' smuggling ring for firearms into the country after the murder made to look like a suicide of his adopted Vietnamese brother. I'm like, who came up with this plot? This can't. As I was reading the the synopsis on on Prime, I was like, this can't be interest. This can't hold my this can't be in how did this happen like I I didn't even understand what I was reading and I watched it and damn they did it they made it entertaining and it didn't it didn't pander to the audience and it it moved well and it was done well and I was kind of shocked that it held up in any way shape or form I really was thinking it would be a solar babies experience which i just watched the other night i watched solar babies hoping for a gleaming the cube and got a solar babies instead and boy that was i don't think i've ever watched that so oh gosh thanks for the warning a horrible horrible knockoff of a post-apoc a typical post-apoc plot with jamie gertz who who wouldn't love Jamie Gertz? She's adorable. And uh, Pat, uh, Jason Patrick, both of Lost Boys mm. fame, uh, mm-hmm. the year before they did Lost Boys. And this movie, oh my God. So apparently Mel Brooks was an investor on this movie and it was such a clusterfuck that he lost like $9 million. Oh no. <laughs> on it. Like it was, it was bad. If you're into bad movies, especially 80s movies, this is one of the worst. Right up there with, with, with um space pirates i would say you just it's bad it's bad and um but again you're dealing with you're dealing with humans destroying the earth and finding a magic orb that can make your wishes come true and channeling energy and all of these things of course it's all on roller skates in the desert 
Because that's a thing. Because you have to put them on roller skates. Like what? that's like, that's the clincher. What the hell? Anyway, yeah. I mean, it really was a clincher. And, and all I could think of is when I was little and I was trying to learn how to roller skate on quads. You know when you'd go out on the street outside and the street would be all rough and the vibrations would travel up your legs. And it was just the most uncomfortable mm-hmm. feeling because, it, you know, you hit one freaking um, acorn or one little asphalt pebble and you just go face first into hardness. It's just, it's not a fun activity. And I'm watching these poor actors or stunt doubles and or skate around these dirty, dirty desert-ish roads. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this must have been just a nightmare. This whole shoot looks like it was just this had to hurt so bad, so bad. I mean, so bad. And and poor Jamie Gertz, her knobby knees are bare to the world. And I can only imagine how many skinned knees she suffered while trying to just stand in the dirt. But uh, I digress. Anyway, um, but that's another thing that the the 80s had going on for it was a ton of post-apocalyptic dystopian imagery you know that was a huge thing in the 80s it was interesting because we had so many different things going on we had you know like this is the time when you know you're you're kind of moving out of that you've moved out of that like Susie homemaker thing for the most part for women and women are going off and getting careers so there's you know so many families where where you know both mom and dad work so this is the era the beginning of the latchkey kid you know, of, hey, kid, you really are on your own. Like, you're <laughs> hopping the bus, mm-hmm. you're coming home, you're watching TV. And so, yeah, there's all of these crazy movies about kids being the ones that are going out and, like, making stuff happen. Like, I think about, like, Red Dawn. And, you know, these are, these are as we're starting to get, you know, a little deeper into the 80s and kind of early 90s. But, you know, Red Dawn was what, like 86, 87, maybe. And then you move into like the the Iron Eagle era where it's like literally the teenager is going out to save dad mm-hmm. from, you know, from the big bad. And, you know, and we're, gosh, you know, I, I can still remember doing the the under the desk, um, you know, like there's been a nuclear strike drill because <laughs> what you don't i mean i remember it for you don't earthquakes i remember it for earthquakes but not for nuclear what the fuck is a desk gonna save me from well it you know it was i think it was just a i don't think they really thought that the desk was going to save us but it <laughs> was one of those like, what else were we going to go we didn't have basements or <laughs> that just like, plays into my adults to to. that just plays into my adults are stupid <laughs> theory but you know but like I clearly remember, I want to say I was in the third grade or so when like the new, I remember the shift of, you know, Russia is bad. We're, we're still at war. Like my uncle was a, um, my uncle worked for an asphalt company and he was actually part of the Star Wars project. He was on the team. Of, <laughs> I got really excited and then I got really sad. Contractors. <laughs> yeah. You know, of the like, and I remember like he wasn't supposed to tell anyone, but of course he would come home and 
and tell the family because it was the only interesting thing happening in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how they would go to work for it was it was divided up into a bunch of different contract teams no team stayed on it for the entire um installation and um he had every time he went to work like they strip searched them going in and coming out every day like to make sure that there was nothing that they were smuggling like in or out from the job it was it was craziness i remember hearing this sort of stuff as a kid and but i also remember the day when it was like you know the ussr is no longer the ussr and you know that's all over now and there were just so many interesting so many interesting concepts that were dropped in our laps at such a young age that Mm -hmm. I think because we were left alone a lot of the time a lot of us we kind of had to digest that information on our own and I definitely feel like you know circling it back to the music and and the tv and the pop culture at the time I, I definitely feel like it was a way for us to kind of not only well I don't know if it's a way of normalizing but kind of a way of normalizing it and feeling safe when you don't necessarily feel like you have you know the protection of your parents or the protection of your family because who the hell knows what's going to happen they could be at work and you could be at home you know, or at school when stuff goes down, not like that's different than it is today, really. But I feel like that was kind of more in the beginning of life kind of being that way. You know, you didn't have as many stay at home moms or you didn't have as many grandparents, you know, hanging around, staying in the household, watching over the kids. You know, you there there were just there were a lot more children that were um you know either home alone or or in a family with other children and where the older the older kids were the parental figures mm-hmm. and so i think it was interesting that that you know that got reflected a lot on on what we were watching and you would see all of these stories of kind of of kids like figuring themselves out and coming into their own and coming into their gifts. So, yeah, you know, sitting down and watching, you know, the, all of these movies like, you know, like going into the, the Disney movies again, The Child of Glass, where obviously, you know, this kid is seeing a ghost and talking to a ghost and I could do that. So that was cool you know or watching something like watcher in the woods which was really scary at the time and terrible did not hold up but but i will still watch it to this day because there are just so many little things in there that are like they're permission slips you know Mm. it's like it's okay to be weird it's okay you know if you're getting messages from these things that are unseen and it was definitely a prep for look there's a lot of weird stuff that's gonna come your way Mm -hmm. don't get too freaked out about it it's Mm -hmm. all right well and and beyond don't get too freaked out about it like this is this is coming in something got triggered when you said that there's a lot of stuff coming your way and the first exposure we want you to have to it is from a child's point of view so these movies connected us permanently 
to the child's point of view about poltergeist, to the child's point of view about ghosts and mysteries, to the child's point of view about having to fend for yourself, you know, in, in a, especially for me, I mean, I was very drawn to the post-apoc and dystopian uh, movies with kids in them because they were fending for themselves. It showed, it showed family interaction from chosen family members not from family member obligation, you know, which became a huge, a huge uh, theme in my life. And I think in a lot of our lives, because what happened to the, you know, the nucleus family or the families that later went through divorce is that your whole family that you're supposed to have obligations with end up telling you you're wrong, you're stupid, you're a conspiracy theorist. And there are people going through this right now who are like, what the fuck? why is it all turning upside down because it's meant to turn upside down it's yeah. meant to turn upside down please believe that if you are going through this it is temporary and you will you will find a different form of family you it's meant to turn upside down because we aren't meant to be stuck by our obligations anymore we there you know the universe is granting us the freedom to discern for ourselves where we want to put our energy because mm-hmm. that's the only resource that, that we can control it's the only resource we actually have is where we put our energy so yeah the world is crazy right now but it's meant to be crazy right now so that these old systems that we've been slaves to can be broken down one by one by each of us in the way that makes sense for each of us and those kid movies that we experienced back in the 80s they primed us for it you know, and I think about things kind of coming back around again, and a lot of those things are starting to come back around again. And I know that there's been times that I rolled my eyes and kind of got a man, isn't there any more like original thought left? Why do you guys got to keep, you know, digging stuff back up from my childhood and redoing it? But at the same time, it's like, well, it worked for me. Like it, it helped to instill all those things in me. So maybe it's coming back around to do the very same job, to do the very, the very same work, maybe just in a different voice that's easier for those now to hear. So maybe I should, you know, like not be so harsh on all of the remakes now it doesn't mean that i'm going to sit and like you know be the cheerleader and and wave my flag for everything and well i think the question about the remakes and i i think it's always been the question about remakes is who's remaking it is it a passion project from someone who is inspired by it and did that passion project was it allowed to progress and evolve in an artistic manner without the interference of the money men Mm-hmm. Who, you know, you remember working for the mouse, how we could come up mm-hmm. with amazingly artistic and beautiful concepts. And then management decides it wants to be an artist for a day and changes one thing and says, what could go wrong? And we're left scrambling to make yeah. it work now because they don't want to listen to you because they want to be the creative and they have the power to step in and do so. That's what happens in Hollywood all the time. That's that is sure. the that's the distortion of Hollywood. You know, yeah. there's a there's a shadow side to everything. The light side is that we get, you know, every once in a while we get movies that really speak to our souls and inspire us and and show us that someone out there, someone else out there is experiencing what you're experiencing that you've never spoken about. And yeah. that's incredible. And the shadow side is that all of that takes money and money corrupts. No. Money doesn't corrupt. Money is benign. Money is just a resource. Money is energy. People's desire for power corrupts. 
and money is the easiest way to make that happen for them. So, yeah, you know, and that's where your own discernment comes in. Like when something resonates with you, you don't need to discern. It just resonates. You're like, yes, more of this. This is amazing, you know. But when you're watching something and you're like, ugh, ugh, I like, I feel like I should like it, but I really don't and I'm not sure why, you don't need to go past mm-hmm. that. That's your instincts telling you this is not for you. Well, and that and, goes for relationships too. And uh, on the same, you know, at the same turn, it's like, and if something that once resonated with you all of a sudden stops resonating with you, feel free to say thank you for whatever it is that you taught me and see you later. That's, <laughs> you a, know? that's a harder one though. That's a harder one though, because you get so much enjoyment when you find a teacher or a person or an influencer or some form of entertainment that's also teaching you what you need to know. You get you get kind of happy and addicted and comfortable and squishy in, in what being around their energy automatically provides like you it you develop a trust relationship with that thing so even if it stops working for you you still give it a shot because you're like i i really enjoy that that's an enjoyable part of my life and now i'm not enjoying it anymore but maybe it'll come back yeah you know <laughs> I, I will say that sometimes that applies but it's it's becoming more and more rare it's becoming a lot easier for me to be like mm, and that's where you lost me so thanks for everything and you know maybe i'll catch you again sometime when Mm -hmm. there's another message that resonates with me it's not necessarily that i'm like i'm dropping like a hot potato and and i'll never see you again but there are definitely times where i feel like it it's gotten a lot easier for me to go you know that particular thing Mm, nope (laughs) and so it's easy for me to like leave stuff Mm -hmm. and walk away and then if I'm meant to come back I know that something will pull me back and sometimes it's just for a quick minute and it's like thank you for that update and see you later and sometimes it's like oh okay we've we've come back to the same place again where you know we've circled back around we're simpatico again or however you want to say it yeah we've circled back around but um you know and 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 i'm cool with that kind of relationship i'm i'm cool with it it actually it makes it makes me happy it makes me happy to be able to say you know today not so much Mm -hmm. i don't feel like i have to resonate with something that i don't just because i've resonated with something similar or i've resonated with a person's message previously or you know sometimes it's you know you're you're not supposed to pick up the whole book you're just supposed to read a chapter or you know or the introduction or a sentence or you're supposed to see a word you know it's it's you don't always have to take and ingest and commit to uh you know a full a full lesson plan by someone if it if it doesn't resonate with you um and i don't think that i don't think i had the ability to see that in my earlier years i i you know being kind of more of a rule follower than a rule breaker in my life overall i think i always felt like a sense of you know oh i need to be loyal to this or 
you know, they've given me a lot. Like there was a lot of like, there's been times where I've, you know, kind of latched onto a particular teacher and felt like, you know, oh, you know, I, this is, this is my person, but I know as I've, as I've gotten older and, and I've continued to learn and I've allowed, I've allowed more energy to come and go as is necessary, that it's easier for me now to not feel a sense of obligation anymore. And I'm totally cool with, with that and not feeling obligated because I know that if it's something that I'm really supposed to know or, or really supposed to learn, and I don't feel like I'm into it right now, then I know that it's just not my time right now. Or maybe that particular part doesn't apply to me and it's okay to leave it. And if I feel like I'm being drawn back to it at some point, you know, to come back and reinvestigate. I don't know if I was going somewhere specific with that, but <laughs> I was waiting to see I think if I've we reached end the up. end. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, mm, nope, I think that's all I had to say about that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, sometimes um, that's how the conversation goes. <laughs> um, when it comes to following people, uh, I've definitely gotten to a point where their message has to resonate or I'm just like, it feels that feeling that I think I first probably experienced on Facebook when you're just scrolling and you realize, oh, wow, this is just a big time suck. You know, that's become a lot more, a lot stronger. I have a, a very difficult time denying it. And there's almost always something better that I could be doing with my time. So if I start to feel that, I use that as my guide to call it quits on whatever I'm watching or listening to or experiencing at that time, including people. If someone comes up to me and they bore me, I'm out. I don't even, sometimes I don't <laughs> even give an explanation. I just walk away and let them talk to themselves. I mean, that's just, you know, I think that came out of my my days as a club kid. <laughs> like, oh, hmm, no out <laughs> there's always a better song than what you're talking about so yeah i think i've uh i think i've come up with a few moves that are like my signature moves for for bowing out <laughs> because there is a part of me that's you know in the background it's like oh this is getting very sad <laughs> like i like i don't want to like embarrass them and i don't want to like make it a big deal but it's like you know i've i've come up with my signature moves of and moving on so and what are they i'm i'm so um, i'm so i'm intrigued. not going to reveal my secrets what? no you carrot no. dangler no these are like these are these are my these are my treasures what no man here I am looking to get a little bit of cooth on me. <laughs> no, ma'am. No, ma'am. You're all tight-lipped. It ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. No. I wouldn't have used them anyway. No. Sometimes, no. depending on, depending on, well, I mean, it's really only with people who are just using me to, the only word I can come up with is masturbate. You know, they're talking to hear themselves, but they, they need you there and they are holding you hostage. <laughs> Yeah, you don't get any polite. There's no manners for you. I'm walking away. I'm not. <laughs> I've been held in that situation one too many times in my life. And I just realized there's no way out of it except to just walk away. Okay, bye now. Well, sometimes it's awkward. Like, 
Like sometimes yes. it's just awkward. Like it's like, and the first thing that comes to my mind is um, for all of you, the Christmas story fans out there, when, when Ralphie is in line for Santa and the annoying kid behind him is trying to like talk his ear off about the Wizard of Oz and all the characters and how much he loves the movie. And, and Ralphie just kind of turns around and looks at him and is like, don't bother me right now. I'm thinking it's like, <laughs> definitely I have those moments where it's like there, there is no good answer. There's no good thing. That's going to, it's, it's whatever is going to come out of my mouth is going to be awkward and I'm just going to have to be okay with it. And it's like, look, the chances of me seeing you again, or like running into this situation again is very slim. So I'm just going to let whatever awkward decides to walk out of my mouth at this moment, walk out of my mouth. And then that's how we're <laughs> going to end it. <laughs> and sometimes I look back and there's this look of like, I don't understand what just happened. <laughs> and then, you know, but I think in most cases, there's just a, you know, oh, well, you know, they've, 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 there was somebody else there to take my place. There was another target coming into view and they latched on and it wasn't even a thought that I left and it was like okay good <laughs> nobody saw that sweet I can move on <laughs> normalize excusing yourself from conversations by just walking away yes <laughs> let yes. it be a thing you know if we normalize it then no one's going to take offense so it has to start somewhere and it's going to feel awkward but if you need permission I'm giving you permission just walk away just walk Mm-hmm. Well, I can do it with family now. With family, I can just Ooh. walk away. It's well, just like, good. and I'm done. Yep. So usually I will announce it first. Usually there will be so, some sort of, and I'm done before the walk away, the hang up, the whatever it is that needs to happen. Do they ever acknowledge but, that announcement? Um, it depends on on who is on the other side if it's my mother yes my mother will always acknowledge it mm-hmm. she she tries to do it in a respectful way though usually it will be like especially if it's like a phone conversation i'll get the text like an hour later of you know the the there's some sort of apology or an explanation that I really didn't need or something. Usually it's on behalf of my father who like totally doesn't care to my dad. It's just like, okay, whatever. He's upset for a while. And then like a day later or a week later or whatever, it's like, it never happened Mm -hmm. and it's never discussed again. Mm -hmm. And then it's like just on to the next. And it's like, okay. The situation floats off into the ether. Yeah. Like, no big deal. Like, this is just this is just how we communicate. And it's like, right. this isn't how we want to communicate. Right. This is just how we have to communicate. Heads up, not my and choice. by we, I mean me. <laughs> so, you know, but hey. Yeah. I, again, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at all of the things that I am picking up on now that went into the shaping of the the now me you know it's like there's a lot of things that you know at almost 46 years old feel like it's happened very recently but I can also see that it's like no you know even those 
they're like big shifts have happened more recently it's it's easier for you to see them now because mm -hmm. the contrast has been bigger but um it's like but girl you've been in training your entire life <laughs> like mm -hmm. we have been sending you messages and giving you experiences and like the entire you know think about the decades in which you grew up in you know this was this was very well crafted some mm -hmm. of it was very well crafted some of it i don't feel it was crafted quite as well but some of it was incredibly well crafted and, and so what and again, wasn't crafted I, uh, what wasn't crafted well you know I'm dying to know i feel like i feel like kind of coming into the the like late 90s early 2000s like we Ugh. went through a chunk of time where i'm like eh, horrible i ain't horrible. feeling this hated every minute i ain't feeling it and and that was definitely a time in my life where like if i look back on it this was definitely this this was where the contrast started and maybe that's why it felt so you know yucky yeah is because this is the point in time where i was like oh time to be an adult now i guess and yeah. time to do you know time to put all of these other things aside time to put the you know the the dreams aside and go do the thing or there was the disguise of I'm going to drop this for my dream and then realizing that the dream was was not what you thought it was and that it was, you know, a disguise for a much deeper, uh, more difficult lesson in life. And uh, it's like the awakening lessons began in the 90s, yeah, and the early 2000s. Definitely. And those sucked. Those, those suck. Really... I mean, they still suck today. They still suck. They do. They when do, I watch but... other people go through them, it sucks. Yeah, they and do. My heart but goes the... out to them, but Ew. but the difference is, is that they suck with some some form of higher communication that gives you a heads up that that's what you're going through. Whereas before, every single one felt like it was going to be the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, well. <sighs> There were very few things in my life at that time that were were anchors or lifelines to to making it through all of the the spiritual stuff. A lot of that got left behind. Like there was a period of at least 10 years where I feel like I know I felt like, okay, well, I know this stuff felt okay when I was younger because I had, you know, again, I had music, I had TV shows, I had movies, I had artists that were making it feel okay. And as we moved out of that particular era and and into this this new era that like just it didn't fit me like it Same. didn't feel right it didn't feel like it felt like putting on 
clothes and walking out the door, like putting on clothes that like just were very ill-fitting and and walking out the door knowing that you were wearing something that was very ill-fitting. It was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It was just a huge bucket of uncomfortable that I didn't know what to do with. And it felt like there were no good resources. I had very few places in my life that at that time that felt like it was a good resource. And to be honest, it was it, <laughs> it was literally the only portion of my life at the time that was still connected to the idea of fantasy or dreaming or or being something outside of the norm like I never fit in anywhere or so it felt but there were certain times in my life when I was younger where although I didn't quite feel like I fit in anywhere it felt like it was okay to have not fit in and then I reached that point as I got older where it was like you don't fit in anywhere and you're going to be alone for the rest of your life because you don't fit in anywhere but like this one little teeny tiny corner and heaven forbid anything happened to that little teeny tiny corner mm -hmm. you know it was like you know holding on for for dear life to the uh you know to the the blanket or the whoopee <laughs> making a, another 1980s movie reference what's you that don't know from? what a whoopee is well, I know what a Wibby is. <gasps> what don't... movie did it? No, Mr. Mom. Oh, gross! Mr. I Mom. never liked that film. <laughs> that was what that I have. I have two huge memories of Mr. Mom growing up. One is the kid with the Wibby. Mm -hmm. and the other thing was the and it was it was all surrounded by the Wibby. The Wibby was the blanket the kid's security blanket and then the vacuum cleaner was this evil shark that was that was always you know looking to suck up the whoopee and take the whoopee away <laughs> and my neighbors had my neighbor's pool they had one of those it was very fancy at the time it was a pool cleaner that was automatic that kind of you, you plug it in and you throw yeah. it in the deep end and it starts cool doing all the cleaning yeah and mm -hmm. and basically we called the we called the it was the shark it was it was the character of the vacuum cleaner from mr mom it was mm -hmm. always chasing us around trying to eat us basically <laughs> so you know but that's the way kind of everything felt as I started to get older was like oh my god if I lose this little corner of my life like I I I can't be I can't be myself and that was really hard that was a really hard period to go through because there was just there was just nobody really to talk to about any of it and honestly like that pretty much continued until i met you huh. hmm. and even then it was it was weird it was Thanks. very weird 
but awesome in the well in the way that like this portion of our relationship came out like we we came together on you know on on like different levels at different times we worked together so we were co-workers so like there's a thing and then we both realized that we liked the same music and we were goth kids and we went to industrial clubs and so like there was another thing but there was also a lot of differences between us too so it wasn't necessarily like a super automatic oh my god like you're amazing i want to hang out with you all the time sort of a relationship it it none of my relationships I felt like we have both, ever been that relationship <laughs> no but i feel like we both had like we were both in places where i think we were very feeling very vulnerable and not feeling very open to letting others in so it was kind of a slower process like i'm going to try this out and see how i feel and if i feel okay about it like then i'll let it progress to the next step and Mm. then it kind of you know but it like at first it was this kind of slower building and i'm very appreciative of that because you know like the relationships that i made in high school that you know there's still several that i've held on to but they were they were forged in a really interesting way with outside circumstances kind of weighing on them but at the same time there was always a part that was like very hard to go hey and by the way like all of these other kind of weird things apply to me (laughs) which they knew but at the same time it was like oh well you know because jamie has the weird so we have to make sure that you know we don't do x y and z or we'll have to check with her first or you know if she decides to have a meltdown we have to figure out what to do with her like they still weren't sure what to do with me so even though i had those relationships that were were pretty solid like they weren't gonna leave me somewhere but at the same time none of them really related to me in that way and although they loved me and they cared for me they still didn't quite like understand so you know it was it was interesting when we finally got to a place you and i where we could talk about stuff like this you know that happened slowly but like as it did i don't know how to describe it it just felt like it felt like there it was it was a very different kind of coming together it was like not a safety net but just a type of um a type of relaxing mm-hmm. and being able to relax into just going yep this is all the weird i have <laughs> well, let I me mean, lay it out before you <laughs> the truth of the matter is is that i really didn't know what to do with you until we started talking about ghosts and spirit and all of that because 
my I've always been such that if I can't talk to you about that stuff, then I think you're weird and I don't want anything to do with you. <laughs> so well, I was before, so guarded yeah, that it was yeah. hard for me to open up about that stuff. And I figured I I picked up on that early. I'm like, okay, she like it it felt to me like you wanted to talk about that stuff, but there was a weird blockage that I couldn't identify. And I'm like, well, if she doesn't get over it, I'm out of here because this is boring. Like <laughs> there's only so many times I can visit the park <laughs> and straighten the bows before I'm done. Um, because I always knew that whoever was gonna be in my life needed to at least have a curiosity about that sort of thing. I I just if you're not curious about spirit and downloads and ghosts and crystals and magic and all of that stuff, what are we doing together? Because that's that's literally where my brain is. 99% of the only time my brain isn't there is when I'm forced to do mundane 3D adulting tasks. Mm-hmm. Even then, it's only not there when I have to communicate about money or something that brings grounds you back into the the matrix, so to speak. Otherwise, if I'm getting my car smogged, like I keep on putting off, and I'm waiting for it to be done, guess where my head is? Yeah. Ghosts, spirit, name it. But it's not getting my car smogged. It's not where do I need to go next? I don't care where I need to go next. That's why it's so important for me to write down lists because I don't want to keep that stuff in my head. That's boring. And um, I'm a full-blown Gemini. If I get bored, we're done here. (laughs) So, yeah, it wasn't until we got to that point that I was like, oh, I guess we can actually be friends. That's cool. Yeah, I had to feel you out first. I had to make sure that, like, you weren't going to look at me like I had. 18 heads and I was already looking away that I didn't know (laughs) I didn't know I didn't know no I I I always use like it's like oh okay well she listens to the same kind of music all right that's cool we're both goth people goth people are dark they like darker things (laughs) ghosts are are usually pretty cool I could probably talk about like other dark things so you know it's like i had the list in my head of like these are the songs that i can talk about oh my god and these are the these are the movies that i can talk about oh Oh, yeah i had to run i had to run everybody through these filters because i was so used to like getting to a point of like feeling very comfortable and like blurting something out and then having you know it was literally the "Uh?" (laughs) wait a second (laughs) We did not sign up for this conversation and this is where we're out. And it's like, oh, sad face. <laughs> to which it's I like, reply, oh, I good riddance. Oh my gosh, that was a near miss. Holy crap. Glad you know, I, I found out about their deficiencies before it became serious. <laughs> but like, I felt like in my life, I just, I, I like, I couldn't afford to there were a lot of times when I felt like I couldn't afford to lose people. Now, as I've gotten older, it's like, bye. (laughs) See ya. I'm Mm -hmm. on my own. But yeah, as you know, in up, up until my, my kind of early twenties, I was still very, very guarded and still am, to be honest, depending on what crowd I'm around. I just, I have, 
you know, there there's just like I don't want anybody harshim, you know, harshim a mellow really. So <laughs> like if if you're not going to be down with my conversation, then I'm not going to have that conversation with you. And I can usually, you know, nowadays and for for quite a long time now, you know, I I can pick up on those things. It's it's not that big of a deal, but back then, you know, it was still very much a big deal. And I, you know, like I, it's, it's a hard thing when, when you have people that you're very close to that you've forged a really strong relationship, um, with, and, but you know, in the back of your head that there are certain things about you that they're like, yeah, I'm just, I don't know, like I love her, but I'm never going to understand that. Mm -hmm. And I felt that. You know, I I deeply felt that. So, you know, as I was moving into my more adult life, there were there were definitely points in time where I'm like, okay, so this is, you know, this is how you go about being an adult and you're going to have to go out and have adult relationships now. And yeah. that's going to look like this. And and it, it sucks. I really yeah. didn't like it. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. My body didn't enjoy it. Like, no. you know, uh, that was, that was kind of the start. Well, it wasn't the start, but it was the, the, the buildup of some of the more um, physical issues that ended up coming down the road for me in my twenties and thirties that, you know, again, and, 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 another layer of contrast to mm -hmm. to kind of go through i'm grateful for it now they were all things that brought me to to where i am now and there are definitely parts of my gifts that are tied to a lot of those lessons that helped open those things up that helped open me up to being able to help others and had I not gone through what I went through, I, I wouldn't be able to do that. So mm -hmm. I can, I can look at those portions now a little bit differently, but, um, you know, it's, it's really cool when you get to a point in your life where you start meeting people that are your tribe that you can really truly identify with as no, like, these are my peeps. These are my hardcore peeps. Like I can tell them pretty much damn near anything and you know they're not gonna blink it's mm -hmm. it's it's whatever <laughs> you know and uh that's that's why we're able to do things like this and sit and have these really crazy conversations and well and the truth is you know i think that a lot of people get um the definition of the word friend has a much more a broader interpretation depending on who you're talking to you know but when it comes to having people in your life that are basically bomb proof you're lucky if you have one to three of those you know yeah, you, totally. that circle's gonna be small and mm -hmm. you can't you can't have this unrealistic expectation that a friend is going to be bomb proof they're not they're they're flawed they're going to have boundary issues they're going to have traumas and triggers that they haven't worked on and as someone on this journey who has worked on that aspect of themselves, you're going to be required to make decide whether or not you want to make space for those people too as a friend 
Or if that's not a place that you want to exert yourself, yeah. if you'd rather put your energy elsewhere, there's no shame in that. Yeah. It just means that someone else is there, you know, coming around the bend to be that person's friend. So if you're looking, you know, because I'm the type of person who keeps their circle really small. It's not, it's not even really a conscious decision. It's just, I know what I need. I know what I like. And if you can't provide it for me, well, then I guess we're meant to part ways. Yeah. That's all there is to it. You know, I have to be very mindful of who I spend my time with because when I spend time with someone, it will inevitably be deep. Yeah. And it will affect me for possibly days. Yeah. If not longer. So I'm aware that I only like interactions that are deep and meaningful, that I like to talk about, you know, a limited number of topics at length. <laughs> and anything outside of that is going to be boring and arduous. Yeah. And I'm going to need a very long nap afterwards. And sometimes, <laughs> depending on the person, I might need you know, days to recuperate. And they might think that there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with how they are. And the truth is there isn't, it just doesn't work for me. So don't, don't go looking for bomb proof people and expect everybody who you resonate with to be that bomb proof person. That's, that there's two different things you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that is definitely uh Definitely, definitely. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I'm going to keep working the the 80s. Well, no, was Rain Man 80s or was that 90s? No, I, I can't don't remember. remember. I don't know. I was going to try to keep weaving it in. <laughs> and we're spent. <laughs> and we're done now. Have we done the thing? Have we done the thing? Have we done which thing? What thing? The, the have we done the show thing? Are we are we talked out? Have we reached the cul-de-sac? The did the street lights come on? Is it time to go home now? Yeah, are we done? <laughs> I think we're done. All right, I think we're done. Good times, good times. There'll definitely be more to talk about, but I oh, think for we're sure, done for the try time to, being. Try to get us to stop talking about the eighties. Uh oh, you know, right? <laughs> well, you know, so I guess this is where I say. Join us next time as we use our inside voice to talk about, well, you know, whatever our guides have in store. So until then, <laughs> this is Heather and this is Jamie, and we are using our outside voice to say, stay safe, stay sovereign, and we will see you later.